0: Chemical Watch Podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit ChemicalWatch.com. Chemical Watch, intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Charlotte Niemick, News Editor, and for today's episode, I'm joined by our North America Managing Editor, Terry Hyland, Asia Desk Editor, David McFarlane, and Europe Desk Editor, Luke Buxton. Today, we'll be looking at the regulation of five persistent bioaccumulative and toxic, or PBT, substances under Tosca in the US. NGOs, scientists and attorneys general have called for the rules to be toughened, while industry groups have claimed they need significantly more time to comply with at least one of the bans for PIP 3.1. We'll also take a look at how the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic in Taiwan is pushing back regulatory deadlines on both priority existing chemicals registration and the cosmetics prohibited list. And we'll finish with news that an NGO in the EU has accused the European Commission of blocking progress on restriction proposals for lead compounds. But first, let's start with the US PBT rules. These risk management rules imposed partial bans on five PBT substances in the waning days of the Trump administration. But in March, the Biden administration sought to revisit the rules in part to address industry compliance issues with the ban on PIP 3.1 in certain articles, and it also opened a public comment period. Comments received since includes those from environmental groups, scientists, and state attorneys general clamoring for even tougher rules in a bid to further reduce exposures. So Terry, what exactly are these groups calling for?
1: Yeah, thanks Charlotte. So environmental groups like Earth Justice and Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families, and the group of states that you had mentioned, like New York, Pennsylvania, and Oregon, they say EPA really can take a number of additional steps to toughen these PBT rules and reduce exposures to them. The, the five rules were actually fast-tracked under TOSCA, meaning that the EPA was able to skip the risk evaluation process and just proceed directly to crafting these risk management rules to reduce exposures to the PBTs. And in general, the rules for all five of the substances impose restrictions on processing and or distribution. And some of them also include restrictions on manufacturing and imports. But the EPA generally stayed away from even broader restrictions, like direct regulations of occupational exposures or disposal of the substances or their continued use in articles already in commerce. And the NGOs and states, however, say that not only are these extra steps achievable, but they're legally required under TOSCA. So TOSCA requires that the EPA has to reduce exposures, quote, to the extent practicable, end quote. And the EPA, when it released these rules in December last year, it said, look, many of these extra restrictions, they would just be impractical, costly, and extremely burdensome on industry, and they would bring little more in terms of reducing exposures. But the states and the environmental NGOs say, no, EPA, Tosca doesn't give, doesn't allow you to add in your own subjective view on what's costly or inconvenient. Instead, they say Tosca just requires the agency to reduce exposures to those PBTs to the extent that it's feasible. Basically, they say if exposure reductions are possible, then EPA must require.
0: But industry sees this slightly differently, right? It said this week it would take as many as eight years to phase out the use of just one of these substances, PIP-3-1. What is this substance used in and why is it proving so difficult to identify and remove?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So multiple sectors from manufacturers to retailers really seem to be caught off guard a little bit by the PIP 3 to 1 rule and its restrictions, as well as how widespread or how widespread its use is. So uh, PIP 3 to 1, is it's a flame-retardant plasticizer, it's, and it's used in many products, from a lot of the toys people might have with their kids at home to TVs and computers, and it's also used as a lubricant in hydraulic fluids. And EPA's final rule for PIP 3 to 1 Prohibits the processing and distribution of articles that contain the substance. And it included some exceptions for, say, specialized uses for aircraft and marine applications uh, and a few others, as well as an extended four year compliance period for sealants and adhesives. But apart from those specific exemptions, the ban on uh, PIP 3.1 was set to begin in March of this year, but the EPA said it wouldn't begin enforcement until September in part to give industry a chance to provide additional input. And industry certainly did provide that input. Multiple different trade groups said, if the EPA starts enforcing these restrictions in September, it would disrupt global supply chains uh, and affect the availability of all kinds of products, from research equipment to refrigeration systems and manufacturing equipment, and even agricultural supplies. Uh, and part of the reason for the the pushback after the rule was published is that many se- sectors simply didn't realize how widely PIP 3.1 is used. It's it's not really regulated elsewhere in the world, so it wasn't on many companies or even trade associations' radar really to, to fully stay on top of where this substance is used throughout the supply chains. The, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, for example, in, in its comments to the agency said, companies are still learning about new types of product components that contain PIP 3.1. And in terms of complying with the rules restrictions, the National Association of Manufacturers, which represents roughly 14,000 manufacturers across all 50 U.S. states, they said that industry realistically needs eight years, uh, like you had said, uh, Charlotte, to, to phase out the use of PIP 3.1 in, in articles. the The association said companies, First, they need time to investigate what are often very complicated supply chains to determine where PIP-31 is used in the process. Uh, And after that, they have to identify, test, and then phase in suitable alternatives. And the the association said most of its members would need three to six years to fully phase out PIP-31 after they had conducted that thorough investigation of their supply chains. In in the electronic sector, it wasn't a whole lot different. Several groups like the Consumer Technology Association said their members would need four years to comply with the ban. And even then, they said that the restrictions should should apply to manufacturing, but not the distribution of articles containing PIP 3.1. Otherwise, they said, suddenly retailers might have to send finished goods back to the manufacturer or just scrap them altogether because they may potentially be in violation of the, the rules requirements. And... Interestingly, adding a little bit to sort of all the uncertainty here, as recently as February of this year, in, in letters to the EPA, the electronics groups had at first called for a two-year delay. But uh, in, in their more recent comments to the agency, uh, they said that just in the last couple months, their member companies have submitted more information, indicating that no, really, a four-year delay is needed. So companies and trade groups here are, are still gathering information.
0: Thanks, Terry. And what are the possible next steps and outcomes?
1: Yeah, well, we don't know for sure at this point, or, or exactly, uh, you know, when we might see, you know, potentially amended amendments to these PBT rules. But ultimately, we are likely to see some changes. And we could see updated rules that are both more restrictive, at least in terms of kind of the, the breadth or totality of the requirements, but also less restrictive, and that they could give industry more time to comply, uh, potentially uh, for PIP 3.1 in particular. For for the potential new restrictions, the EPA has said it will consider a, a additional all, uh, or excuse me, the agency has said it will consider additional or alternative steps to reduce exposures to these PBTs. Um, and elsewhere, sort of outside the back and forth on these specific rules, the EPA has more broadly said that it it does want to revisit previous assumptions made on worker protections and impacts to historically disadvantaged communities. Uh, that's the concept sort of, of of environmental justice. And those efforts could suggest that we will see added requirements in these amendments to the PPT rules to protect workers that might be exposed to these substances or new restrictions on exposures or releases that might disproportionately affect uh, environmental justice communities. Now, at the same time, the EPA has also said that it certainly is considering extending compliance dates for these restrictions. And given the strong pushback from across industry, the EPA may very well provide at least some additional time to comply, especially for the PIP 3.1 restrictions. And as with so many things in TOSCA, though, courts often have the final say, and that may be the case here. There are two pending lawsuits challenging. Uh, two of these PBT rules. NGOs filed one case challenging the rule for a DECA BDE, and several industry trade groups had sued over the PIP 3-1 to one rule. Both of those cases have, have kind of been put on hold while the agency takes comments and considers its next steps. And one or both of those cases could be revived or additional lawsuits filed if industry or NGO groups aren't satisfied when, when the amendments do come out
0: thanks again terry so now let's turn to taiwan where the epa has begun consulting on plans for another year's extension to the deadline to register 106 priority existing chemicals or pecs above one ton a year if approved this would bring the new deadline to december 2023 david what's behind the extension and what impact will it have on industry
2: hi charlotte Well, we contacted Taiwan's EPA, and they told us that the extension was being considered in order to provide sufficient time for registrants to register existing chemical substances during the COVID epidemic prevention period. If agreed, this would be the second time that the agency has extended the deadline. It was last set for the end of 2022, following following industry concerns, over the ability to complete registration in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So under the revised draft, companies that obtained their phase one registration number before the 31st December 2019 would have four years. So up until 31st December 2023 to complete the information required under appendix three. A phase one registration is a standard application for substances of one ton a year or more. Companies that obtained a PICS phase one registration code after the first of January 2020 would be required to complete the necessary information within four years, starting from the first of January of the year following receipt of their number. As well as information about the registrant and the substance identification. The other data required under Appendix 3 applies to manufacture use and exposure, classification and labelling, guidance and safe use physical chemical properties, toxicology and ex—sorry, toxicology. The information must be completed before registrants can begin their hazard and exposure assessments, which are also part of the standard registration process.
0: Thanks, David. And in the same week, the Food and Drug Administration indicated it would delay changes to the cosmetics prohibited list. What changes are industry waiting for here and what should they do in the meantime?
2: Yeah, that's right. Charlotte, uh, Taiwan's FDA could delay on adding more substances to its list of those that are banned in cosmetic products on the island. The FDA had originally uh, planned to add 255 ingredients and amend 40 existing entries in July following a consultation carried out between December, the, December 2020 and February. The list was, was designed in the first place to prevent public health risks and it applies to manufacturers, importers, and distributors. It sits under Taiwan's Cosmetic Hygiene and and Safety Act, which restricts the use of certain ingredients to prevent the likes of allergies, irritations, depigmentation, and other conditions that pose a risk to health. A spokesperson from the FDA uh, told us that the agency is currently in the process of planning the next, next steps and won't be able to provide a progress update until June at the earliest. They said the agency might need to delay the additions or even hold further consultations on them, but has yet to reach a final decision on this, which is understood to be in part because the coronavirus pandemic has affected operations there. However, cosmetics regulatory experts have advised us that businesses should bear in mind that these changes are in the pipeline and adjust their actions accordingly.
0: Thanks again, David. Finally, let's turn to the EU, where NGO, the European Environmental Bureau, has slammed what it calls the European Commission's outrageous insistence on apparently supporting lead using industries, which it says is blocking progress with restriction proposals. The comments follow ECHA's announcement last week that it has withdrawn its intention to restrict certain lead chromates, as it waits for more information from the Commission on how it intends to move forward on the proposed restriction of lead in PVC. So Luke, perhaps you could start by telling us a little more about the background, as this isn't the first time ECHA has postponed its restriction
3: proposal. Hello, Charlotte. So this is turning out to be one big waiting game for ECHA, NGOs and industry. It illustrates, on the one hand, the ongoing problems with the reach, authorization and restriction processes, while on the other, it amplifies the issues of the Commission's handling of alternatives assessment. ECHA's decision to withdraw its intention to propose the restriction on lead chromate, lead chromate yellow also known as pigment yellow 34 and lead chromate molybdate sulfate red aka pigment red 104 follows two previous delays to the proposal. The reason for the setbacks and the withdrawal last month are all down to the Commission's slow reaction to the Parliament's February 2020 objection to its lead in PVC restriction proposal, as you mentioned, Charlotte. ECHA's science committees, RAC and SEAC, have provided their opinions on the restriction proposal on the use of lead compounds to stabilize PVC, which is interlinked with the agency's lead chromates proposal. ECHA said that both concern lead in plastics, although lead chromates are used in applications other than PVC. Uh, both also identify release during end of life as the main source of emissions, so the assessments are very similar. This all means that policy discussions on lead in PBC are expected to have an impact on the core analysis presented in the lead chromates restriction dossier. Another key consideration is that in February this year, the Commission lost a landmark appeal case to reverse an annulment of its decision to authorise lead chromates in paints. The main argument in this case was that the Commission and ECHA did not do enough to establish that there were no suitable alternatives to the SVHCs. The authorisation concerns the same lead chromate pigments in ECHA's withdrawn intention. Um, So the agency said that deliberations following this case may also affect future restriction work.
0: Thanks, Luke. So why is the EEB accusing the Commission of blocking progress? Yeah,
3: good question. the EEB says the Commission insists on continuing to support sectors that use lead by ostensibly granting permission for use of the substance or ones in the same group without taking submis- sufficient steps to ensure industry is thoroughly assessing safer alternatives for the specific uses. The NGO said the Commission's actions or non action create an obstacle to further regulatory work on lead and connected substances. The EEB said that for about 15 months now, the lead and PVC proposal has been left, seemingly half forgotten, on the Commission's desk with no further measures announced. And what this means in the meantime, uh, it said, is that people and the environment are unnecessarily exposed to these harmful chemicals. And this, they said, contradicts the Commission's toxic free environment and zero pollution commitments.
0: And what does this mean for industry while it waits?
3: Well, we know that given all the ambitious and wide-ranging actions set out in the Chemical Strategy for Sustainability, as well as the difficulties brought on by the global ongoing uh, COVID pandemic, the industry needs predictability and clarity. Let's not forget that among the 50 commitments are plans for a comprehensive reform of the restriction and authorization processes. A continuous delay of a new restriction for lead in PVC and for a potential restriction on lead chromates Puts industry further in the dark. However, it is important to note that this is a complex issue. Um, a commission official said the EU executive is currently assessing its options on the lead in dossier and intends to find a way forward that uh, provides clarity for industry and is acceptable to uh, parliamentary, uh, sorry, to parliament and member states. The delay seems to be due somewhat to the need to find the right balance between, on the one hand, the ambition of achieving as soon as possible the toxic-free material cycles and the minimization of the presence of substances that pose problems to health and the environment in recycled materials, and on the other hand, the target of creating a more circular economy and of achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, And as yet, the Commission has given no indication as to when the proposal will be entertained again.
0: Thanks again, Luke. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you again to Terry, David and Luke for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. You can also join us on the 9th of June for our one-day virtual conference on Tosca Developments 2021, where expert speakers will outline what's on the horizon for Tosca. Delegates will learn about the latest developments since the law was amended in 2016 and find out what these changes mean for you and your business. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.